Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me on this cold and crisp but sunny Monday afternoon. Uh, Can't see in the studio here. Maybe I'll have to change one of the TV channels, Ben Harrison, whether the Bills have actually kicked off, but they were supposed to be kicking off at 4.30 against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Buffalo. That game had been delayed since Sunday because of weather. Joining me to talk about the weather and a whole bunch of other interesting things from the day are two of our smart speakers, John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning right here on News Talk 1010, and the Reverend Michael Korn, a News Talk 1010 contributor. Gentlemen, welcome to The Rush on this Monday afternoon. Nice to be here. here. I believe it is Michael's birthday. Michael, happy birthday. Well, oh golly. Oh, yes, it is. I'm 40 (laughs) years old today and life is great. And um, if you believe that, you'll believe anything. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I mentioned that the Buffalo Bills game had been uh, deferred as a result of weather from yesterday to this afternoon. And it got me thinking over the weekend because I grew up in Listowel, which is for many considered part of the snow belt. And you went to school, you went to after school activities, you went out for recess, like, It didn't matter what the weather was. Very, very rarely would we ever have canceled anything because I think we would have had to cancel most things if we actually did that on a regular basis. And yet it feels as though we're getting much softer when it comes to weather. Is that the case for you guys? I'll start with you, John Moore. Or, I mean, you grew up in Montreal where there's tons of snow. Or are we just getting smarter as a society and say, hey, it's not worth it. You can stay at home. You can work from home. I think we're just making our choices because let's face it, as we age, we're always all oh, the people today, the young people, they're so weak. But I mean, there's a difference between having lived in a sod hut on the Canadian prairies in the 1890s, if you're a Ukrainian immigrant trying to run a farm, and the way things are today. And all I can say is, I know that immediately after we talk, I'm going to have to hit the street with my dog because the dog needs to go out. I'm not looking forward to it, but I don't think I feel particularly weak because I'm not looking forward to it. No, but you're also not saying, sorry, dog, it's too snowy and cold out there. Well, we can't have that conversation. He's a terrier. <laughs> but I, I mean, I know I feel terribly guilty. We have a terrier, and I'm not, I'm not taking her out today at all. <laughs> but facts are facts. I don't ever remember, and I didn't grow up in the 1800s in a hut uh, on the prairies. Uh, like I don't ever remember recess being canceled because of fear of frostbite or wind chill or anything when I was in elementary school. And yet it happens. We have guidelines for it, Michael Korn, for our kids in TDSB and TCDSB. We have changed, in my view. Yeah, well, I did grow up uh, in the 1890s. uh, (laughs) And uh, I mean, the thing is, I grew up in a country where if the weather changes either way by four degrees, there's a national inquiry and the government falls so I'm not really the best person to ask about this, but now, I mean, it's not that we've become softer. And Johnny's right. The idea that young people, it's like the Monty Python sketch with the four Yorkshiremen, you know, in my day. But I think expectations and, and tolerance levels have changed. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, it is very cold. And I'll be quite honest. I mean, we have a terrier. Um, now she's 11 years old. She's not as she was. So she doesn't have to walk as often. But. No, I, I made the argument to her that I couldn't go out today. It was too cold. And I've been drinking whiskey because it's my birthday. And she seemed to accept it after I gave her half a chicken to eat. But I don't know. I mean, look, houses are warmer. Um, most buildings are warmer. We have a more comfortable life. And yes, it does change our expectation. But 
counseling things that are important, like school, for example, particularly after the pandemic, when we really mustn't counsel if we can possibly avoid it, that is problematic. But we're, we're, the climate of this country is very different to, to most others. And in Toronto, we have it relatively easy. I used to do a lot of public speaking. I remember I was in Fort Worth, Texas. It was January. No, sorry, it was December. And I flew down to Saskatoon, and it was about a 90-degree change in temperature overnight. And, yeah, people, particularly in the West and in Quebec, but also here, we, we, we are used to what we know will be extremely cold and extremely hot temperature. I mean, remember that as well. When it gets to August... There'll be heat warnings and tragically older people will suffer and even die. They don't have air conditioning. So we live in a country of extremes. Get used to it. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, Deb, is very geographically specific. I was looking at a um, posting on Instagram from Nashville and they had a dusting of snow and tomorrow all the schools are closed. But you got to understand that it is not a normal situation in Nashville. And whenever people say, oh, these are first world problems, I always say, yeah, I live in the first world. Yeah. And and there is a difference uh, when we get snowfall in Toronto and people make fun of us uh, because of the number of cars and how close driveways are to each other. I mean, there's no place to put the snow. So there are, you're right, John, there are differences. I still think we're getting soft on the weather. I'm going to go to another complaint I have. I just shared with the listeners and took some calls. I ordered groceries on Saturday to be delivered at a very specific time as per the uh, option on the website of Walmart to have my groceries delivered between 2 and 3 o'clock and they arrived at 9 o'clock last night. One of our callers said this is the lack of competition that we continue to complain about in our grocery industry in this company in this country. Is that what's happening here? Is that all it is, John Moore? Um, no, I'm not sure. I mean, frankly, again, to come back to this whole notion of first world problems, I always say when somebody says, oh, please, first world problems, fine, you wait half an hour for the table you reserved at a restaurant and then say, fine, people can't eat in Ethiopia. Uh, when it comes to something like this, I just would like the service that I asked for. So I would fully endorse your complaint here. If you ordered something and you got a delivery window, then they should respect it. Or be able to tell me why. It wasn't exactly, sure. you know, snowy and blowy most of yesterday afternoon. Michael Corn, am I being unreasonable here? Oh, God, you've put me in a difficult position. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Answer well, the you, question. <laughs> you are and, you, and you're not. Look, on, on the one hand, uh, you're not being unreasonable because you're paying for a service. You expect it to yeah. be within reason. I'm sure half an hour late wouldn't be the end of the world. But that many hours. Has this happened before? I mean, are you a yes. regular? Well, no, I was a regular during COVID. Um, and then I had this happen to me in August and I swore off it. And then November, I thought, OK, I'll let, give it a try. Swore off it because it was, I think, four or five hours late then. And so then I did it again on Sunday. And so I think three strikes are out, Walmart. Except well, I'm yeah. cheap, which is why I still <laughs> shop at Walmart. <laughs> the, the thing, on the one hand, we did, look, people working for minimum wage and even the people managing the, the delivery schedule probably are not working for much more. Managers in minimum wage uh, professions, they work incredibly hard. And so I'm incredibly reluctant to condemn or criticize anyone who works there. But at the same time, and this is probably copping out, forgive me, but at the same time, I understand your frustration. And I think a lot of people listening will say, well, why doesn't she just you know, get, get out there and get the stuff herself? Which, yes, that's a fair point. However, if you are, and I assume you do pay for this service, yes. you expect the service to be reasonable. And a six-hour delay is beyond reason. 
Yeah, and also, Deb, it's not the fault of whoever was stuffing those bags for you. It's the fault of the corporation that said, we will deliver at this time. So they got to figure out how to pay people in order to meet their goals. Or don't offer that service all the time. Sure. Um, we'll move here to, I know, John, you talked about this on your show this morning. It is the Emmys tonight, the 75th anniversary. They've le- released a number of big TV moments. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you and ask you your TV moments, the most memorable. This is a moment that not only made an incredible impression on me and the world, but it also changed my career. I was on the air in radio reporting on the first plane that had gone into one of the Twin Towers, and I was speculating maybe it was a bit like the um, Empire State Building in 1945, where a small plane, a war plane, crashed into the tower. And as I was talking, I looked across the glass, and I saw the look on somebody's face, and then I looked up at the monitor, and I saw the second plane going in. And like I said, that was not only to me, wow, the world is changing, but frankly, it's how I went from being some goof-ass entertainment reporter in Montreal to eventually, two years later, becoming the afternoon host at News Talk 1010. Wow. Uh, Michael Corrin, your memorable TV moment. Well, there are many, but I I would think we would all agree on on that event. And uh, I also have a particularly personal uh, aspect of it because I wasn't watching television at the time when 9-11 happened and my dad my late father who had uh, had a stroke not long before uh, and eventually took his life but he he telephoned me from the UK to say in his, a very broken voice he was still trying to recover from the stroke are you watching the television mm. and I then turned the television on and saw that so th- 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 there's a, the dichotomy on the one hand my poor father trying to communicate this to me this tragedy he was watching live and me then joining in that experience and watching it on television. But I, I think the whole evolution of TV um, and knowing what we know now, I mean, for example, just recently when we saw the aftermath of the October 7th attack, Gaza into Israel, things that we now see that motivate us and provoke us, could terrible catastrophes, massacres have happened? Uh, could they happen now when we have live television and so much coverage? I mean, I, I do think that a lot of TV reporters can be rather narcissistic. Look at me, I'm, I'm in danger, I'm in trouble. You've put yourself there. But on the other hand, without them, uh, terrible atrocities can take place. So the more we can expose, the more we can see, although it's still bad, the less harm that can be done. So the whole evolution of TV as a whole, I think, is really what we should be looking at. Reverend Michael Corn, John Moore will be with me after the break. Stay tuned. We'll discuss more of what's been happening today. Welcome back. You're listening to Deb Hutton on The Rush. I'm with you until 6 o'clock. This is what I love about radio. We took a break for traffic and a, a few advertisements to pay the bills, and two things have happened. The Buffalo Bills scored on their first possession. The game against Pittsburgh is now 7 nothing, And... Former Ontario Cabinet Minister Khalid Rashid has stepped down as MPP. That news broke just moments ago. Coming up after the 5 o'clock break for uh, news, we will have Toronto Star reporter and Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie uh, join me to fill us in on what he has heard in this, uh, I guess not completely surprising, but nonetheless did not expect it today, resignation. Um, Khalid Rashid, of course, was the first minister to uh, resign after the uh, challenges the Ford government has had with the Green Belt. So now, as of, uh, I guess today, no longer an MPP 
either. Um, Speaking of politics, we'll turn to federal politics right now. I'm joined by John Moore, who is host of Moore in the Morning, right here from 6 to 10 on News Talk 1010, and the Reverend Michael Korn, who is a News Talk 1010 contributor. The federal minister of immigration is musing about the idea that perhaps the federal government should crack down on the number of foreign students that are being let into this country. He does make quite the point that this uh, could be cleaned up, could be controlled a little bit more by provincial governments throughout the country. I I like this. I I think we have a tremendous challenge with our immigration system. Um, I just find it a little hard to swallow, Michael Korn, when we learned last week that the federal government was warned by their highest civil level of civil servants that increasing immigration levels in this country was going to put an unacceptable strain on housing and health care. So I like what the minister's saying today, but doesn't seem to jive with their overarching policy on immigration. I think we have to be very careful on this subject because it's very emotive and it can produce uh, feelings and reactions that aren't always balanced. Immigration is a good thing. That's not woke to say that. It's not being, it shouldn't be liberal or conservative. It's a reality. We do need immigration. And for the most part, uh, people in this country come from immigrant families originally. When it comes to students who who are coming over to this country, ask any university administrator. Our universities and colleges would not exist if it wasn't for foreign fees, foreign tuition fees, which invariably are much higher than domestic ones. But as a host population, we do have a right to say that we want to encourage immigration that helps Canada. And I think overwhelmingly it does. There is some evidence that people will come to this country uh, with no intent to try and improve the nation. Um, But that's a tiny minority. And they'll always be highlighted by the tabloids and so on. But for the most part, it's a good thing. I don't understand particularly why people react so negatively to the idea of increased immigration. Um, Housing... Well, the the housing crisis has existed for a very long time. And if anything, I I would suggest government policy and developers and lack of affordable housing. I don't think it's people coming into this country who, of course, often contribute to the the people who build the homes and who produce the money and who pay the taxes uh, to enable the economy to flourish. So we've got to look at some, some foundational issues here, not just the one that always makes the headlines, how many people are coming into Canada. And I don't want to throw out any allegations of racism, but we all know that this is true, that the idea of the other, of the outsider, does play well in certain parts of the Canadian body politic. John Moore, when I first heard the story of students uh, who were living on the streets and who were using food banks and all of the things that shouldn't have been uh, a part of their experience here in this country as um, someone here on a student visa, I assumed that our universities were at fault, that they were bringing in a, a higher number of international students to keep domestic tuitions lower because they do pay higher tuitions. But there's a lot more to this story. And I think as we learn more about it, it it is very troubling. And I, I don't disagree with anything Michael has said. But a lot of what is happening is that we have these smaller licensed colleges in particular who are bringing in students really as a backdoor way yeah. of someone getting in and working. And they're not really here for the education. And then we are losing track of them 
in this province and in this country. Okay, and at the risk of sidebarring for a second, I just wanted to note that with Khalid Rashid resigning, that opens up a Mississauga riding for Bonnie Crombie. 110%. But let's keep moving. The problem has been that universities are becoming money-making enterprises, and in two frames. I mean, one of them is there are some bogus universities that are really non-existent, and they're bringing in students, and they're charging them huge sums of money, and they're giving them degrees that amount to nothing. And then one imagines either they're using this as an anchor to stay in Canada, or they go back to whatever country they came from. And they say, I have a university degree that counts for nothing. But I can also say that the money-making model of universities, to me, is extraordinary. And I've talked about this on the morning show. I've been wanting, for the longest time, to do a postgraduate degree. And every time I approach, you know, University of Southern California or Harvard and say, I'm interested in doing a master's degree, they will not let up. And it's because they know I'm going to pay them $80,000 American in order to be a student. And so in Canada, now we have all these universities saying, well, we can accept a local student for, and I don't know what the price is anymore, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, or we can take an international student and make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. So it really is, I mean, I, I call universities the new real estate agents. They're just trying to figure out how to make the money. Gentlemen, I say this every single day. I do a really poor job of time management on the Smart Speaker series because I like talking to our Smart Speakers so much. So I've almost run out of time. Quickly going to throw one issue on the table, which is that it is the Iowa caucus south of the border tonight. Michael, why should we care, if at all? Uh, well, the only thing we have to care about is the possibility that Donald Trump could be the leader of the free world and that affects all of us, particularly those of us just this side of the border. It's a horrendous idea. Um, I, I never say conservative politicians are a problem. It's look at the character, not the, the party. But with Donald Trump, it's beyond conservatism. It's dictatorial, it's maniacal, and it's incredibly frightening. John Moore, a lot of Canadians in a recent poll are worried about the U.S. becoming a totalitarian state. Your quick thoughts. Well, on our show, we made the decision we're not going to spend any time on this tomorrow. We'll wait for Donald Trump to be the nominee. But I have grave concerns. I agree with a column that appeared in the New York Times this weekend that effectively said that there are Trumpists who valorize intolerance, incivility, rudeness, um, lying, uh, I really, I have very, and I know I'll get texts, oh, you have Trump derangement syndrome. No, Donald Trump is a vile, immoral, terrible person. And if he becomes the president of the United States, it will be a disaster. On that note, I will say thank you. John Moore, host of More in the Morning, and the Reverend Michael Corr, News Talk 1010 contributor. As always, a pleasure. Coming up after the break, we'll get more information on a resignation out of Queens Park.